We were designed for deep and intimate connection, but far too often we find ourselves on relational autopilot. You want the marriage you dreamed of, not the marriage that you're settling for. Each week we share personal and professional stories, giving you tools and guidance, empowering you to restore and reimagine the marriage you always wanted. Welcome to the Thrive Marriage Podcast. Last week, Chris and I processed leading your family of origin based on an interview with Dan Allender from the Thrive Marriage Lab membership community. This week, Mark, my husband of 33 years, and I share some of our personal journey of leaving, how we got it wrong, and where we've done okay. So earlier this month, Chris and I were talking about uh, Dan Allender's um, conversation with us a while back, Mark, and his, and you're familiar with this from work that we've done with Dan, but the leaving and the idea of, you know, your wedding day really being this moment where you sort of thank your parents and, uh, and then tell them goodbye. So um, I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about, about what that's, what that did and what that didn't look like. Well, I, I love Dan's work and, and, you know, he does the leaving, the cleaving and the weaving mm-hmm. uh, lives together. Um, but, but I just have a huge smile on my face because while those words sound so sweet and are so easy to articulate, um, at least in our marriage, uh, for me, Trace, they have been uh, just uh, extremely difficult uh, because it's so blurred around the edges and um, you have both your idea of what leaving and weaving is and, and your parents' idea of leaving and weaving. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then w- when you are, uh, as I am, uh, committed to pain avoidance, uh, anything that's the slightest bit painful, uh, we just won't have that conversation. We won't do that. Um, and so, man, if, if there were uh, if there were the opportunity to return to some of those days, I would have conversations that would more clearly define um, just what what it looks to to um, leave my family of origin and to really, uh, although it's a ceremonial day, uh, the, your day of your, your wedding, uh, I, I think I would practice um, cleaving uh, to you uh, more more diligently. I think. Hmm. I don't think, I don't think that the, that the actual um, depth of what it meant to, to leave was anything um, that my parents understood. So it certainly wasn't something that they could offer. Um, And, you know, I, I think um, my, my thoughts about, you know, even that day and leading up to it and, and what I believed, I think I believed really strongly that you were going to leave. You would leave your parents. That felt like an easier thing for me to grab onto. You were leaving your parents and really like joining my family. So yes, we were going to be married, but our <laughs> loyalty would be, yeah. our loyalty would be with, with my, with my family and with my with my parents. And, um, and I think that there are, I think that there are ways that, that like the dysfunction in my thinking there, you know, maybe even met with, with some of, uh, what was going on for you and, and we kind of move forward, um, 
we move forward in that, in that way. So I, you know, my mom, my mom's relationship with her mom, my mom talked to her mom at least once a week, maybe twice a week for uh, until the, the week that my grandmother died. I mean, that was just how close they were. And, um, and so I think, and her mom was the same with her mom. So they're almost this legacy, right? Like coming down through my family and my grandfather was an, was basically an orphan. So he very much joined my grandmother's family. And, um, yeah, so I, I think there's something generational that was there that, so it was just a foregone conclusion, um, that that's what would happen with us. You know, even as we begin this conversation, conversation trace there's there's something that's important is that while we all understand the importance of this process of leaving uh your families of origin and and cleaving to one another uh there's not a recipe because Mm -hmm. leaving for you looked radically different than leaving for me Mm -hmm. um one of the things that i needed to leave profoundly um but but did not do a good job and and it, it creeps in even to this day and we've been married more than three decades now but i i needed to leave uh the philosophies of my family of origin uh and and in uh, specifically the one i'm holding closely in, in my thoughts right now is that of uh, scarcity uh, my dad was a, a public servant worked for the government for for i don't know 30 40 years and uh and with that we were always very modest income. I can remember uh, free lunch and free breakfast programs in um, grade school and high school. I can remember food stamps actually for a season uh, with a family of six uh, based on his income. And so uh, everything had to be recycled and redone. And and Mm -hmm. it actually encouraged me to hoard, to save. And, and where that became manifest so early in our marriage is uh, we were married in Phoenix and we were heading to Portland. And I thought, uh, you know, I, I asked you, uh, what do you want to do for your honeymoon? And, and you playfully jokingly said, although as a young 26 year old, I did not understand playfully jokingly said, oh, you know, whatever. Uh, and, and I'm sure, and, and we both worked for the airlines. So I think the possibilities of travel and, and a time, intimate time away would be so easy. Um, but I, I clearly did not carry that message. So the honeymoon was uh, a time of driving your car uh, from Arizona to Oregon. And even to save on funds, we would stay with friends on the way up. So we had a night or two at a hotel in uh, the city where we got married. Uh, but then we um, stayed with friends on our commute up to Oregon where we would make our first home. And so uh, leaving my parents for me would have also included leaving the mentality, that scarcity mentality, where my relationship with you needed to have um, dollars and cents placed on it because it was infinitely valuable to me. So on occasion, it needed to have a physical representation of that leaving of that scarcity for me. I, you know, when I, I, I think about that story and I think about another another sort of legacy piece that that came down on my side of the family and uh and my grandfather had written a check meant to cover <laughs> costs yeah. for that for a honeymoon trip right and he wrote the check to me well to, and, your, to your maiden name right, you. well yes wrote it to my maiden name and would continue to write 
significant checks to me in my maiden name for years to come. After we were married. After we were married. I think that that goes back to that. um, You know, you're, you're coming to, you come and belong over here. I'm not leaving and, and coming to you. We're not forging something new. So I, you know, I think about another thing. I, I, uh, I have no memories from childhood or um, my high school years or even young adult years of my parents raising their voices at each other. Just none. They did not fight that I ever saw. And I think there was tension. I mean, I I know that, but there was just no raised voices. And, you know, you've heard me say, I think I, I felt like I was the angriest person in my house. So if anybody was raising their voice, it would have been me. But what was lived out in front of me was a narrative that, uh, or a storyline that a good marriage is a marriage where you don't fight and you don't argue. And so I didn't, I had no concept for what that would look like or how that could be okay or how that could be healthy. Um, and, uh, and so that would not be our story. <laughs> no, and, and the, you know, part of that is, you know, coming from my home of origin, uh, my home was not that. My dad was a, uh, often angry, intense, passionate, boisterous, loud man, uh, and and he ruled the roost. And I was often in fear of my dad and his presence, and his voice. And and I remember in some of our early discussions, it's what the word I'm going to use. I'm going to call him today. But you would literally say to me, "Stop yelling at me," and and because I was so keenly aware of the volume in which yelling happened at my home. I would then elevate my voice to that level uh, and echo that. To demonstrate to me what yelling actually is. I'm not yelling, this is yelling, as I bellow those words out. And, and, but, but in that, um, there was something broken in my yelling meter because uh, there was a, if we, I, I bet if we had a decimal meter there, we would find a significant difference between the voice in which we were now discussing or arguing um, my voice was louder, um, but because my home was so much beyond that, it didn't feel like yelling to me. So even in that, I needed to leave um, the practice of yelling uh, that just perpetrated violent conversations in my home of origin. Mm-hmm. I think we've had to we've had to find our own we've had to find our own way there. And as I say that, I think about you know, we've got five kids of our own and, and they each have their own, yeah. they each have their own story about our intensity and, um, and what it has felt like how you and I have done conflict and how we've done conflict in our home. And, um, and I'm sure there are things that they want to leave. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, and not to make light of you that, know, though- but inevitably there, those have to, those have to be there. But I think that transferring of loyalty, um, I, I think for us, and I think I can say this for both of us, just the transferring of loyalty came out of such pain because it wasn't, it wasn't pleasant to realize that we needed to choose each other and, and that we needed to choose how we were gonna forge something together. Um, so that was hard for you since you're pain avoidant. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, and you want to talk about handicaps. Try this one out. Tracy, there were times where it felt like uh, 
I don't even know. It, it almost happened. It was so innate, ingrained, if you will, in, in me from my home of origin. Many times there were things that I did that I did not recognize how deeply hurtful and, mm -hmm. and harmful they were to our marriage. Um, so it's not like I just said, I think I'm going to go fuss with you today. I, I think it just was, oh, I'm going to go do this completely inconsiderately. Uh, and literally, I did not consider. Uh, and when the, the consequences played out, I'm going, I had imagined that turning out differently than it did. Well, and I, I can, I recall a lot, especially in the early years, you know, probably the first 10 years ish, um, that we were married, uh, feeling the, the need to, um, fight for you, fight to have you choose me. Like, choose me, choose me. Will you choose me? Because, because it was super common in your, in your house. Uh, in particular, I think about sports and how important they were. And your parents really lived very independently of one another. They did, I don't think they lived interdependently. They lived somewhat independently. Your dad did his thing. Your mom did her thing. And they kind of came together at church. But but I remember, you know, right after we got married, I mean, you were playing a different sport every night of the week. And that, and that felt totally normal to you. And that went on, that went on for some time. And that was completely foreign to me because that just wasn't, my family, we didn't play, my brother didn't play sports, I didn't play sports, my dad ran, but, but that was just like, what, what is happening? Yeah. Um, and it felt like your loyalty was, was somewhere else. And, and I'll say this too, Mark. And so then, and in that I had like the biggest blind spot in the world about where my loyalties were not with you. And I know I, I had a lot of disdain if you tried to point those out. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm laughing on the inside because today, as I look back, I can imagine things having gone so differently, um, but but in those early years, they they went the way they did, didn't they? <laughs> I remember um, one of the things. Our first home, we moved. We got married in Arizona, but we moved right away to Portland. I was working uh, up there at the time, and so we we had a, our home. But my mom, it was our family custom to um, just always cook more food uh, than was expected for the dinner that evening. And then somehow the goal either was to get people to come into the dinner or, uh, you know, and so there was a real expectation. Uh, I think she had that we would be at her house pretty much every night for dinner. And we were this fledgling young couple and wanted to have our own dinners and our own times and stuff like that. And, 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 and the dinner thing became so important. I even remember, Tracy, you prepared a meal. It was really exquisite. It was uh, a, a baked salmon in a phyllo dough puffed pastry. And I had never experienced such a delicacy. I mean, we were meat and potatoes family for sure. Um, and my family came, uh, some, some of my family came to dinner and actually even made fun mm -hmm. of the dinner that you had prepared um, because it was different uh, than from the family of origin. And so not only were we expected to be at their home, but, but uh, it was difficult for them to bless when they came to our home. Well, yes, that feels true. And I can remember also for a long time, uh, wanting you to do for me the things that my dad did for my mom. 
and why I wanted you to take, I wanted you to take my car and get the oil changed in it. I wanted you to take care of the tires if they were low. I wanted you, I mean, there were just lots and lots of things that, that it was like, well, I don't want to have to know how to do that. I just want you to take care of that. I don't, I don't want to have to know those things. And there's a, there was a um, element, I think of, I, I would call it overprotection um, that marked my childhood that, that kept, that kept me home, kept me from a lot of what I would call adventure or risk-taking or expanding my horizons. And um, I, I didn't even know that I needed to leave, that I needed to leave that, but you, you were insistent and relentless in your um, pursuit and invitation and even inserting yourself um, in, in those ways for me because you believed something for me that I couldn't believe for myself yet. You knew something I didn't know about what my loyalty to that tightness. We were even talking about that this morning. My parents never, they never traveled to Europe. We didn't travel outside of the country and we had plenty of money and you had way less and had been out of the country multiple times. And I just, I, I had a loyalty to the idea, like, well, it's just, it doesn't matter. It's not a big thing. And, um, and today I think about what, I mean, it took 20, 20 years, 22 years yeah, for you to get me, to get me to Europe. And since, I mean, I have, I have been all over the world and, you know, I think I would say forging, forging life with you, forging loyalty with you and life with you has brought me a much deeper understanding and connection to who God made me to be than I ever would have known if I had stayed loyal to my family of origin. You know, I hear that. And I think of uh, early on, you said that one of the most significant, one of the most significant things about our relationship is an invitation to life. I mm -hmm. felt like an invitation to life. Mm -hmm. uh, and not just life trace, but play. Mm -hmm. So where I, I have relentlessly invited you to play, and sometimes that's been good, and sometimes it's been misguided, but, <laughs> but it has served us well because mm -hmm. through thick and thin, finding a place to play has truly been a departure from our, our homes of origin mm -hmm. and a forging of our marriage as it is today. It's true. So I'm a fan for, of uh, forging loyalty with your spouse. You too? I am a fan. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Thrive Marriage Podcast, where each week we're bringing you personal and professional stories to help your relationship. You can learn more about us at restorationcounselingnoco.com or find out more about the Thrive Marriage Lab membership community over in our digital laboratories, restorylabs.com. We open membership up only twice a year, so make sure you join the waitlist to be the first to know. We'll see you same time, same place next week.